Bit of, a, bit of a boy band this morning, lack of female presence, but because we are real men, I'm going to start with a poem. <laughs> Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And of course, is the Invictus poem written in 1875 by William Ernest Henley. He was a man who'd experienced a great deal of misfortune in his own life. He had a leg amputated at the age of 16 as a consequence of having TB, and then he nearly lost his other leg in his early 20s. And that poem, which he wrote in response to that, has been an inspiration to many, and quoted by many, quoted by Winston Churchill. Uh, at the time of the Second World War, quoted by Nelson Mandela famously, quoted by Vietnam, prisoners of war to one another, and on and on. Now, the stiff Victorian upper lip that uh, Henley displays in that poem is not very in fashion at the moment, but the captaining of one's own soul is very on trend. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I spoke about the blood sacrifice and said how we need to be more poetical and more understand metaphor more fully in order to uh, really grasp the imagery and the pictures that the Bible paints for us. And the Invictus poem, though inspiring, sadly is bunk. Now we see that in Henley's own life. There was nothing that he could do about his tuberculosis. There was nothing he could do about the fact that he had his leg amputated at the age of 16. Henley and his wife had one child, a daughter, who died at the age of five. There was nothing that he could do about that. Henley himself died at the age of 53, and there was nothing he could do about that. The Invictus poem has helped steal courage in many people facing desperate times, but Henley's own life demonstrates comprehensively that we are not masters and captains of our own fates. We need help. So let's look at an alternative narrative, and one which I think is actually far more inspiring than the Invictus poem. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Yes, there is a problem. We humans have a problem. We're not masters of our own fates. We're not captains of our own souls. Actually, the Bible says that in our natural state, we are dead in our sins. We are in our uncircumcised flesh. That means that we go about trying to do things our own way, trying to be masters of our own fate, but actually cut off separate from God, spiritually dead, but 
hallelujah, there is a solution, the cross of Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to unpack again this morning. We're in a series on the cross. We're looking at uh, eight themes which uh, interlock and overlap, uh, but I'm wanting us to see the, the, the whole picture uh, as we kind of week by week examine this detail, detail by detail. Uh, Jen, sorry, can you keep the slides up? Keep, the, keep that slide up of, of Colossians 2. This, uh, this uh, scripture contains at least two of the images that we're looking at. Last week our theme was that Jesus deals with the verdict against sin, and we see that here in Colossians chapter 2 in the way it describes the legal charge being nailed to the cross. But it also um, uh, speaks of our theme today, which is the theme of Christus Victor. It's a Latin phrase, Christ the Victor. Jesus wages a great cosmic war. There's a great cosmic battle going on, whether we know it or not. People wander around through life thinking that all they can see is all that there is, but the reality is that whether you're aware of it or not, we are all combatants in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual reality which is every bit as real as the material reality we see around us. And uh, it's easy to see the, the parallels in this just in the fact that of the stuff that we can't see, but which we know is so essential for us. None of us this morning can see the air, but without the air to breathe, we die. There is a reality which is invisible, but is nonetheless absolutely real. And there is a spiritual reality which is just as real as the material, physical stuff which we see and stumble into in our lives. This is how the Apostle Paul describes this in the letter to the Ephesians, first in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And then at the end of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There are spiritual authorities, principalities, and powers in the heavenly realms, the kingdom of the air. Now, this might be very challenging to our worldview because we're a very materialistic people and we think in terms of stuff which we can lay hold of and handle and do things with. And so thinking about cosmic powers might be something of a leap for us. So if you're in that place, maybe even watching at home and you're in that place where thinking about there being cosmic powers at work, if that's difficult for you, just kind of hang in there and bear with me and, 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 and work it out as we go through. But as well as maybe that being a challenge for us, for many people, that might not be such a leap. Actually, many people, increasing numbers of people in our society describe themselves as, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. You hear it all the time, don't you? I'm not, I'm not religious, but I'm a very spiritual person. What on earth does that mean? Basically, it means you're trying to do it your own way rather than submitting to the disciplines of religious life and community and experience. But... It does reveal something that in many people, perhaps in most people, there is a sense that there is something else out there, that the material stuff isn't all there is. There is something 
above and beyond our material experience. And the Bible says, yes, there really is something out there. There is a world which is invisible to the natural eye, but is as real as our material existence. And we exist in that spiritual world as much as we exist in this physical one. And just as there are battles in this world, there are spiritual battles in the heavenly realms that are going on. The Bible talks about this a lot. The, the two books which particularly focus on this in the Bible are the books of Daniel and Revelation, the two books which people tend to often get very confused about and sadly sometimes get rather weird about because they are describing this spiritual cosmic fight in very vivid terms. Uh, we taught through the book of Daniel a couple of years ago uh, those talks are all available on our website, and uh, just recently, uh, John Hosier preached through or taught through Zoom sessions on the book of Revelation, all of which are available on our YouTube channel. So if you want to understand Daniel Revelation, there's material there. But what the books of Daniel and Revelation do, and what we see in different places throughout the Bible, is a, it's as if a curtain is being opened so that we can see through into the spiritual realm and get a picture of what is happening in the heavenly places. And that's what we hear, see here in our passage today in Colossians chapter 2. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was a very physical, a very material thing. It was wood and earth and nails and blood and flesh. But the Bible focuses less on those physical realities and more on the spiritual reality of what the cross of Christ achieved. At the cross, Christ defeated, disarmed, defanged the spiritual powers and authorities. These powers and authorities which described here in Colossians and Ephesians are the spiritual forces that are ranged against us. And at the cross, we see the earthly reality and the heavenly reality fused together. As from an earthly perspective, Jesus was made a spectacle of on the cross. But from the heavenly perspective, the boot was on the other foot. Christus Victor, the victory of Christ. The powers and authorities have been disarmed by the cross. It says, prophesies in Isaiah 25, and then as Paul repeats in 1 Corinthians 15, at the cross, Jesus swallowed up death in victory. He showed that the spiritual powers are not so powerful after all. He disarmed them. And those powers thought that at the cross, the cross meant their victory. But actually, by the cross, they were rendered powerless. At the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin and overcame death. There is a, a great cosmic victory, Christus Victor. So what does this mean for us? What does Christus Victor, the victorious Christ, what does it mean for us? First thing I think it means is that perhaps we need a shift in our focus. Other images of the cross that we're talking through over these weeks have a more personal application Jesus' blood never failed me yet. Jesus, my substitute. 
But the theme of Christus Victor draws our attention more to what is cosmic, to what is universal, the universal impact of the cross of Christ. At the cross, the powers and authorities were disarmed. Now, they're still active in the world and still dangerous, but they are already defeated. They're active in our world, but it's the desperate activity of an already defeated foe. And Christus Victor means the end of our global enslavement. William Ernest Henley wrote Invictus as a kind of a statement of defiance, but his own life demonstrated the reality of human enslavement, things he could not control. And what he experienced in his own life is tuberculosis, loss of a leg, loss of a daughter, death at 53, is merely a manifestation of the greater enslavement which the whole of creation labors under. This is what it says in the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. What's being identified there is that the whole world is groaning in this kind of enslavement to the consequences of sin and the reality of living under these demonic spiritual powers and authorities. But now things are different because of the cross of Christ. We have received the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Things are different and they're going to be more different. And so we live in this experience of the now and the not yet. Those of us who've come to the saving knowledge of Christ live now in the knowledge that he has won the victory. The spiritual powers and authorities have been disarmed. Their authority has been demolished. But we also live in the not yet as we wait for the fullness of that to be accomplished and revealed when Christ will draw all things to himself. The enemy is already disarmed but there are still some snipers and terrorists and IEDs out there. The enemy is disarmed, but full victory is yet to be experienced. And so we need to have this shift of focus to see that when we're talking about our salvation, it's not only our personal experience of life in Christ, but actually it's the cosmic, universal expectation, the hope in which we live, that one day the whole of creation is going to be set free from the groanings it now experiences. Second thing, then, is to recognize that we really are in a battle. We really are in a battle. In the church, we who know Christ, we are witnesses to the certainty of his victory. That's what we proclaim. Christ is the victor. Christus victor. But it also means that we shouldn't be caught by surprise when there is evidence of enemy action. We see it all around. Think about... Thinking particularly about our young people, having uh, young people myself, and the realities of what they experience and what they're seeing, what they're exposed to at this point in our cultural history, things which would have been unimaginable a couple of generations ago in terms of what they're exposed to and see, and the harm that so many of our young people are experiencing and or inflict upon themselves 
And these things are not merely cultural, sociological. They're also spiritual. There's a spiritual battle going on. We have an enemy who wants to harm us. The spiritual principalities and powers always seek to seize and manipulate the earthly powers. Always seek to be involved and seize and manipulate what's going on in government and the universities and corporations and the media. And so when we see government and corporations and universities and the media saying and doing crazy things, that isn't simply because of human incompetence or folly. It's because there's a spiritual conflict going on. And the spiritual powers always seek to latch onto earthly power in order to bring harm to the human race. It's not a Bible verse, but it almost could be power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. The reason for that is that the spiritual powers always latch onto earthly powers. Where there's great earthly power, the spiritual powers always seek to seize and manipulate that power. That's why even if Google isn't evil yet, it will be. It's just too powerful and will be manipulated by the spiritual powers. We see this in the events of the cross themselves when Pilate, the Roman governor, condemned Christ to be crucified. That, that wasn't just a human political act. That was an act of spiritual conflict. And the principalities and powers thought they had played a winning hand. They had latched onto earthly power and rendered a verdict of crucifixion against Jesus. But actually, they overplayed their hand and lost Christus Victor. So we need to recognize the battle that we're in. Third thing is that we need to live in the certain hope of victory. The cross was a dramatic rescue bid from heaven to earth for us. The answer to our enslavement couldn't be found within human history, couldn't be found from human power. The problems facing us are too great, too intractable, too powerful. We can't save ourselves. There are hostile forces on the scene who are too powerful for us. No matter how much we might think or attempt to be masters of our own fate, captains of our own souls, we just do not have the power for it. There is an arch enemy who does want to destroy us. And so there is a great cosmic battle between the Lord of hosts and the principalities and powers. And at the cross, the victory was won. This is why the language of the Bible is so often more battlefield than cloister. People often have an image of Christianity of kind of being a, about the cloister, about monks silently wandering around the cloisters. But actually, biblical language is much more often language of the battlefield. And we can be very nervous of that today, and for good reasons, because of our particular history in this country and because of what's going on in the world, we can be nervous about using battlefield-type language. When I was a kid at school, it was long enough ago for us to still sing Onward Christian Soldiers in Assembly. No one sings Onward Christian Soldiers anymore, it just sounds like too much like Victorian imperialism. And there's all that anxiety around kind of militaristic language in the church, and with good reason. At times, the church has become a slave to the wrong things itself. 
But we do need to see the reality of the battle that we're in. Those of us who are followers of Christ, we are called as soldiers. We are engaged on a field of conflict. And the Lord is our general. Exodus 15 says that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And in Isaiah 42, it says, The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise a battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. What is Jesus like? He is a warrior. He is our general. And the cross was an act of war. Christ was a warrior. He was the champion. There were powers ranged against us which needed to be overcome. And that overcoming took bloody violence. And the cross is then our guarantee of victory. Christus victor. At the cross, Jesus exposed the principalities and powers to public ridicule and shame. We live in a certain hope of victory. And so fourthly, we need to stay both alert and hopeful. The more secure and comfortable our lives are, the harder it can be for us to grasp the realities of the spiritual conflict in which we're caught. I think if you're living in a, in a society where you experience great persecution as a Christian, where your life and livelihood are threatened because of your faith, it's much easier to be aware of the realities of spiritual conflict. Or if you're caught up in physical conflict, if you live in a war zone, it's probably much easier to be aware of the realities of the spiritual conflict that is going on. The, the more comfortable and secure our lives are, and praise God, Many of us live very comfortable and secure lives, which I'm grateful for, but it's easy for us in that situation. The danger for us is that we then can become complacent. And there is an enemy tactic to lure us into complacency, just to be nice, decent Christian folk without living in an awareness that we are engaged in this great cosmic battle which Christ has already won, but there's a mopping operation going on in which we are called to serve. So we need to be alert, not complacent. Another tactic, perhaps the opposite of complacency, is a tactic to cause us to panic. There are so many problems in this world. We've got huge problems we're facing. The current COVID crisis, climate change, the refugee crisis. There's different ways we might respond to these things. Some people become activists in trying to approach and deal with them. Probably most people take the tactic of sticking their heads in the sand. It's all a bit overwhelming, isn't it? And it's easier not to think about it. And so many of us in the end just kind of seek distractions. It's too much to think about these big problems. Turn on Netflix, look at YouTube, something just to distract us and help us not to think about the problems of the world. That's a mistake as well because we're called to be alert. And so I think a, a better approach for us than complacency or panic is, is to see the spiritual dimension of what is going on in the world. The problems that we face in the world are not purely material problems. Even the big headline issues at the moment, they're not purely material problems. There is a spiritual war going on. We're not masters of our own fates. We're not captains of our own souls. 
But there is a warrior, Jesus, Christus Victor, who has disarmed the powers, and our victory is assured. So let's be alert to the battle, and let's be hopeful of the victory. One of my favorite passages from the Old Testament comes from the prophecy of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Jesus is Christus Victor. He is the bloody warrior. He is the champion, our general. He's also the one who is gentle and lowly. He's the one who came in victory, but came riding on the foal of a donkey. Things have changed. The cross has changed everything. And this means that we have hope. We're held hostage. We were held hostage by the powers. We were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. We didn't naturally belong to God, but that power has been broken by the cross of Christ. We are no longer enslaved by the powers. We are prisoners of hope. And I love that imagery. That once we were slaves, dead in our sins, but now we're prisoners. But prisoners not of something which destroys us, but prisoners of hope. We are held captive by hope. Hope which is certain because of the certainty of the victory Jesus has already won on the cross. What does Christus victor mean for us? It means the victory is already won. It's certain. So... Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the fight. Don't be afraid of the powers and authorities. They've already been disarmed. But don't be complacent because we're still called to a fight. See the grace of God that we are relieved now of the burden of being captains of our own souls. Actually, that, what that poem expresses, it's, it's not liberating, it's, it's entrapping Who wants to be master of their own fate? It's too great a burden for any of us to carry. Jesus has freed us from that and brought us into the true freedom of sonship. And so when we feel trapped, and at times probably all of us do, there are circumstances in life which we can feel trapped by, just the stuff that's going on in our personal lives. It might be that you feel trapped by sin, yeah, you know and love Jesus, but there's that sin that you just keep getting tripped by. You got angry again in the traffic again. You were impatient with your husband or your wife or your kids again. You've looked at porn again. Remember, Christus Victor. It might be that you feel trapped by global events. You watch the news. You get angry. You get panicked. Think, what's going to go on? Remember, Christus Victor. Might be that you feel trapped by other people, people in your life who dominate or control in different ways. Remember, Christus Victor. 
Remember Christus Victor. Remember what the scriptures have revealed to us. If God is for us, who can be against us? So let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, which it will, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand, stand firm, let nothing move you. For God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. And the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Because having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. Christus Victor. Lord, we thank you for your great victory, which has brought us into life and hope. Thank you. The battle is won. And so I pray that as we still are engaged now in the field of conflict of this life, that we do so as those who are not complacent, not panicked, trusting in you, knowing the reality of your certain victory because of the Victory of the cross. Thank you for that moment. You did expose, you ridiculed, you shamed the principalities and powers. You pulled out their teeth and rendered them uh, disarmed. And so we celebrate today that universal impact of the cross, which will one day see all things brought into the freedom which we now know. Thank you for this, Jesus. Jesus is our champion. Jesus is our victor. We love you, Lord. Amen.